Brother Joy, and I uh, appreciate the, the sacrifice that mums make, and especially those who just want to love the Lord and love their kids. And um, this morning, just uh, again reflecting a little bit about that, just thankful for, for God and, and giving me my mum. And, you know, she's uh, one of the things she, she said one time, uh, and one of the privileges I've had for my life is to pass to my mum. And she's, you know, she sort of was an interesting dynamic when that came to be. And uh, she said, you know, I'm so used to telling you off, now you tell me off all the time. And, <laughs> and um, but one particular Mother's Day, she came up to me afterwards and she said, son, do you really have to preach at mum's every Mother's Day? And I said, no, I don't, I don't have to, I guess. And so that came to mind this week. And then um, one of our dear ladies in, in our church uh, just mentioned, you know, sometimes it can get predictable in church. On Mother's Day, you hear a Mother's Day message and all of that. So it was, all of that was coming to mind this week. So I just felt maybe we'll go a little bit different. And I thought the, the Lord was using that to, to redirect us this morning. And so we're going, to do a, we're going to start a series this morning on the book of Ruth. And so if you turn with me to the book of Ruth, and one of the, really, the, there's so many books I would say is my favorite book, but honestly, Ruth, when it comes to it, it has everything. Ruth is such a tremendous book. And Ruth, in, in, in all of its entirety, it's, it's really a short book, four chapters, but there's so much to, uh, so much to look into and so much to, to glean in the book of Ruth. And I, I use that word because that, uses, that word is used over and over again in the book of Ruth. But really, there's so much to glean in the book of Ruth. But if you just look at it from a story point of view, it's an amazing story. It's got everything, all right? It's, it's, got, it's got action, all right, it's got it's got um, it's got intrigue. You know, it's got a bit of mystery. It's got a lot of romance. All right, so if you want a story that's just got everything, it's the Book of Ruth, and it's an amazing book. But so much so much typology right through that book as well. And hopefully, we'll uncover a lot of that uh, as we get into it. But really, this morning, I want to I want to start where where it all starts. Because one of, the, one of the, the great things about the book of Ruth is really, it, it's a real examination of how decisions in our lives can, can affect those around us. And both in the negative and, and, and in the positive. And when you think about the, the, the heroine, Ruth, and, and again, you know, that's a bit of a trend today, isn't it? It just seems like every, every, every story and every movie is being remade so that it's a... The, it's no longer the hero, it's the heroine. And let's, I'm just going to tell you, the, the Bible was, was, you know, centuries ahead. The Bible is, is full of heroines. <laughs> Those ladies who, in, in the face of the challenges that they had, still showed great faith and great commitment. And that's really the, the, the main character, the protagonist of our book that we're going to study in the next couple of weeks Ruth really demonstrates someone who was committed, someone who was devoted. And that's what we're going to examine, really, is, is just a life that, that is daringly devoted. And, you know, I think that's what 
the world actually needs right now is some Christians who will be daringly devoted in the face of the challenges that each and every one of us face. And I'm not just talking about being a Christian in, in this environment. We know the challenges of that. That's the reality. But just generally in our lives, all of us here face challenges from time to time. All of us here face some hardships. All of us here at some point will, will have our faith tested and, and uh, as a result of that strengthened. And uh, all of this plays out in this wonderful book of Ruth. And this is a story that when you start to, once we start reading it in a little while, you're going to see that it very quickly turns into a story of a bit of a tragedy. It turns into a story right from the outset of a family who go through a real difficult situation, and then those who have to pick up the pieces and, and try to build something back up. But what you're going to find is it's also a story that starts off with a tragedy but really ends in a great triumph. And, and that's, that, that really is the, the beauty of the book of Ruth is it's set during this time of the Judges. And if you, you've ever read through the book of Judges, the major theme of the book of Judges is every man did that which was right in their, his own eyes. It was a lawless book. It was a book full of battles. It just seemed to be every other chapter, the, the, the people of God were going through battles. They were fighting someone, and they were going through this, this uh, time in the history of the nation where there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of difficulty and a lot of judgment, and, and all of that was taking place, and all of these bloody battlefields was really the backdrop of the book of Ruth because it was written in that, in, that, in that era. And yet Ruth, in contrast to all of the, the battlefields, it really speaks about grain and plenty and all of that and all of the beauty of the land. It's as if it's a, this little, little parenthetical time that God decided to preserve for us amidst all of the chaos of the nation to just demonstrate a little bit of his working in the micro, in the individual lives. And it's a, it's a, it's a, real, it's a real insight into just what happens. And, and really, if you want to put it in a bit of the timeline in the book of Judges, it probably happens around Judges chapter 17. There's similarities to some of those similarly in Bethlehem, Judah, who just had to sojourn elsewhere because that's the setting that we find it in. Look with me in Judge, uh, Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1. And we read some key verses here that we'll get into in the next couple of weeks. But we're going to focus in verses 1 to 5 this morning. Verses 1 to 5, and, um, and then we'll get into it. The key, really the key verse in the, the whole book is, is when, uh, when Ruth responds in verse 16, and Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. Lord, do so to me, and more also, if, I, if aught de but death part thee and me. And, you know, sometimes we read those out of context, and we don't fully understand and fully grasp just the, the, the enormity of that decision that Ruth made, the enormity of these statements. And we, we got a little bit of a, a sense of it when we, in our Bible reading this morning in verses 6 to 14. But I want to give you the backdrop of that and how they got to that place in the first place. And what this, this, the, the story starts out with is really a lot of, a lot of 
what our decisions and how that plays out can, can really affect and really can set up those around us to really struggle at times. And, and that's that what we find here is this, this, this chapter, chapter one, really is a chapter of decision and then determination. Because what happens is when there's consequences to our decision, what needs to take place is that there needs to be someone that just has the determination to work it through. And that's what happened really in, in Ruth's situation. Ruth, the hero or the heroine of our story, is really someone who, in the face of the situation that she was confronted with, had the great determination and yet, I want to say, daringly devoted enough to come through in the end. And, and I, I, you're going to understand and appreciate, I think, those, the, the statements that Ruth make as a result of the, the study we're going to look at from this morning. And so look at verse 1, chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and that name means God is king. And the name of his wife, Naomi, or Pleasant, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the women the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So we read the, the beginning of the story. We read here that they were, they were these Bethlehemites that faced a situation. There was a family of five, the, uh, the family of four. There was the, 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 the husband, the wife, and two sons. They, they faced a situation where the land was in famine. And, you know, we, we sometimes read that and we don't really fully comprehend the implications of that for families. In a famine, there was no stores. They couldn't go to the local wool. So there was no such thing as rations, really. They just they had to live from the scraps. And so they faced that and they made the decision there to sojourn initially, the Bible says, sojourn. It means have a temporary stay in the land of Moab. Now, we didn't know how temporary, we didn't know what they meant by that, but it just seemed to be that they stayed for a little while and, and, and they, they, ended up, they ended up staying long enough that Elimelech died. They stayed long enough that the two boys, Malon and Chilion, they both were able to find wives. And they stayed long enough that these two boys died as well. And so we can ascertain from that that perhaps they stayed for a little while, probably a little longer than they expected, and here they find themselves, as we read in our, in, our, uh, in our Bible reading this morning from verse 6, that they were now returning back to Bethlehem, Judah, because they had found that things have turned around in, in, in Israel. And so really what we find in, in this story, it records one of the first of five all-important trips to the little city of Bethlehem. The first resulted here in the, uh, in, in the rest of the story, and if you've read it, spoiler alert, if you haven't, Ruth gets married, okay? 
And hence the romance part, we'll talk about that a bit. So maybe some of you ladies, you'll be very interested in those couple of chapters. The, the second occurred when Samuel went to Bethlehem to anoint David as king. The third took place when Joseph and Mary left Nazareth for Bethlehem for that fateful night as they came for the census. And then the, the fourth and the fifth transpired at the visit of some shepherds and wise men. So the Bethlehem, as we know it, is a very important place in Bible history. Right? It was, it was, it was David's city. It was the, the city of bread. That's what the, the name meant. And, and we know later on that, that the Lord Jesus was born in the little city of Bethlehem. And so th- that's the scene here all these hundreds of years ago as they, uh, they, they look at this, uh, as we look at this situation that we have right in front of us here in the book of Ruth, we, we see some of the outworkings of decisions. And we're going to start where it needs to start. You know, today is, uh, is Mother's Day, and typically I would preach on a, on, on a mother in the Bible. But I think it needs to start with the one who actually God has given headship in the home. And so I'm going to give the ladies a day off today, and I'm going to talk about the dads. And, and so some of you are like, I knew I shouldn't have turned up today, but we're going to look at Elimelech. And the story really starts with his decisions. The story actually starts with Elimelech and the things that he saw in front of him and how he decided to respond to that. And what plays out is, is someone who was born in the nation of Israel, of God, who along with the law of God had certain promises attached to it. And yet he made some decisions that in many ways were in contrast to the very things that God had provided for to ensure that his people were taken care of. And what we, we find is really this, this tension that we still face today, this tension of faith versus sight. You know, all of us here as, as, as people, but I want to say particularly to us men, there's decisions that we have, to make, we have to make on the daily basis, don't we? There's some things that confront us. There's some things that, that just from a sight point of view, we're confronted with and then we've got to make a decision with. And we see that and we see the, what we, it seems to be the, the solution at times. But, but mixed into that as God's people are the elements of faith that God has placed for us to be able to find the right solution. Because sometimes we, we make decisions based on sight that, that we don't actually quite comprehend. And then there's also elements of that that are faith regardless. There's things unseen in our decisions. And, and what I'm saying is right from the outset, even in Elimelech's decision making, there's some things he could never have predicted. There's some things he could never have really thought that would happen. And what did happen, though, was he ended up, he, he died. Ended up that because of that, his wife became a widow. Thankfully, for a little while, she had her boys. And they got married and they had their own families. But unknown to him, his boys would die too. And what he did, place, what he did decide, though, place those left behind, Naomi, his wife, Ruth and Orpah, his daughters-in-law, 
with a predicament that they had to just work through. They had to show then, they had to show a little bit of determination. And they had to, because of the, some of the decisions he made, it, it, allow, it, it put them in a precarious situation. And I, I began to think about that. You know how, how, how sometimes we jokingly say, you know, well, men are the head of their homes, but their wife is their neck. And wherever the neck turns, the head turns too. And we jokingly say that at times. We understand the, the great complementary nature of husbands and wives, and, and we know God's design in that. But really, really, God's called us as men to be protectors of our home. God's called us, and really our wife, the wife that God gives us, she's a crown. And she's a crown we're meant to protect. She's, a, she, she's someone that the Bible says is the weaker vessel. She, she, the, the, the family that God gives us to, you, to us as men this morning, there's a, there's a high and holy calling on our lives. There's a great responsibility. And whilst we celebrate and, and we celebrate mothers today, I also want to challenge our men to be better, to be the men that God has called us to be. Because if we're that, then we're going to help our homes. And we're truly going to have a happy Mother's Day. And we're truly going to be a blessing to our community. We're truly going to be a blessing to our church. And I want to say about this character, Elimelech, there's not, not, not everything the Bible reveals about him. We don't know his struggles. We don't know all of the, the personality that Elimelech had. So I'm not making a, a judgment on those things. I'm simply just going to look at some of the decision-making that he had, he had made. You know, the, the whole purpose of the book of Ruth is really to show the lineage of David. And, and there's a great picture there of, of Elimelech where he says God is king and how, what it was going to come to be in the nation of Israel, they wanted another king. And how despite, here, here's the grace of God in our lives, despite our poor decisions sometimes as men, how God works it out anyway. How God is gracious like that. Because out of this predicament, out of the difficulty that, that Elimelech places his family in, something great comes out. You know how, what, who comes out of it? David. And you know who else comes out of this lineage? Jesus. <laughs> and that's the amazing thing about our God, is that even when we fail, and we do fail as men, I get it wrong. There's times where I, I do. I make decisions based on sight. And there's times I've failed my wife. I've failed my children. I, I've done some dumb things. Right? Any other men witness that? Not about me, about you, all right? <laughs> but aren't you glad in all of that? God has grace for you. And God in His grace and God in His mercy can still turn things around. And, you know, I, I just, just believe in a God who's actually not trapped by the circumstances that we put ourselves in and we put others in. And yet, we still have to examine Elimelech and, and perhaps learn some things that we can, we can examine in our own lives and perhaps help avoid. Because if we can avoid heartache, don't we want to avoid heartache? And we find here in Elimelech's life just his decision-making. And again, as a man of the house, you are tasked by the Lord to be the provider of the home. 
So I, I, don't, I don't put it past Elimelech, just that, that drive in him to want to want to provide during this time of famine. There was something in Elimelech that God, I think, puts in every man that wants to provide for, the, for his home. And we understand that when, when a man doesn't want to provide for his home, there's, there's something wrong there. In fact, the Bible says if you won't, then you're worse than an infidel. And there's just something that ought to drive something in us that says, you know, I want to provide for my home. And so there's something that this is a real struggle. This wasn't just a, just a shortage of toilet paper. This was a famine. This was the real deal. And that had set in the land. And so this was a very real decision that he needed to make. What am I going to do with, with the, the, the necessary things of my home? What am I going to do to provide for my family? What am I going to do? And, and so we're talking about legitimate decisions here. We're talking about real legitimate struggles that we all at times have faced. And we're talking about times when, when, when there needs to be an answer so that we can continue on and actually survive. I'm talking about those decisions that sometimes can seem simple enough, and yet often our decisions, when we come to think of it, they all have consequences. They, they all play out somehow. And there's consequences for ourselves, but there's those consequences over those that God has called us to look after. And so I think this morning it's particular. Particularly, it's instructive for us as husbands, but particularly instructive for us in general, because we all we all face decisions at times that that will 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 then lead to different consequences in our lives. And what we find here is that this man Elimelech he journeyed to the land of Moab, and the Bible says there that he went to sojourn there. So his intention initially wasn't to stay there, but we find that he did stay there. Now, this was Moab, this was a different country, and so this, this isn't, a, this isn't a, a, a message where I talk about how it's not good to move. That's not the point, but there was something in particular about Moab that God said were not, they weren't supposed to go there. But the, the, the decision-making here, one of the factors that we need to be warned about is really this, and sometimes this is, this is what drives us as men and as people, is that he made a decision based on economical means at the cost of spiritual blessing. Because the people of God are meant to be in the, the land that God has for them. And, and we understand there's a famine. We understand that there were times even in the past, in the, the times of the patriarchs, that, that God allowed, the, allowed some to journey out. I, I think of the particular time Jacob Right, He sent his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain because of the famine in the land. But it was never God's intent that they were to leave the land. It was never God's intent for, 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 for God's people to come outside of his spiritual blessings. Because the reality of the promised land was it was full of promises. It, it was God's place of blessing. It, it was the area of his will that they were to, they were to find their their. their provision, they were to find their purpose, they were to find their priorities, they were to find the very things that would bless them, and, and stepping outside of that, and stepping beyond that, was never God's design for them. This was a bountiful land. 
And yet what they find, they find in the midst of all of that famine. We don't know exactly the reason, but there was famine in the land. But Elimelech decides to go and initially sojourn, but then we see permanently for a little while, they move to the country of Moab. We see that in verse 2. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So what we find is initially they were to sojourn there, but really it became something of a permanent nature. It was something where they needed to, and I'm saying that they, they needed to do something, didn't they? Elimelech needed to decide something. He needed to provide for his family. He needed to ensure that they, could have, they had the food to eat and they had the provision that they needed to live. And yet, in the face of all of that, God had the place of blessing. God had the place, and that place for them was in their, uh, in their place of Bethlehem, Judah. But the famine caused them to go through this financial difficulty. And so they made a decision. He made a decision based on economical means at the cost of spiritual blessing. We, we see what God's attitude was toward Moab. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. And I think this is the only other place we'll turn to this morning, but I just want to give you context on the, this decision that, that Elimelech made. And notice what God said about Moab and, in verse 8. And when we passed by from our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, through the way of the plain from Elath, from Ezion Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said unto me, notice what he says, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle. And notice what he says, For I will not give thee of their land for a possession, because I have given Ah unto the children of Lot for a possession. So this place, Moab, was outside of the boundaries of the will of God for them. It was outside the boundaries of God's provision for them. And, and we've got to rest content in how God does things. You know, sometimes we can look at the, a situation and, and sometimes the only thing that drives us is, is how do we make sure that our, ourselves and our family is just financially better. And, and I'm saying this morning that we ought to have good financial stewardship. There ought to be a, a discipline in that. We ought not to be flippant with the blessings of God. But, but we also need to understand that within the scope of that, it's, it, the, the drive and the, the motivation to make decisions shouldn't just be purely economical. And what, what he should have thought about and what perhaps came to mind, and maybe he wrestled with it for a little while, was, do I sit here and by faith trust God through the famine, or go ahead and by sight go outside of God's will and just because just there's an economical benefit on my part. And sometimes we, we do make those decisions. And sometimes we go through that. And, and, and his sons, we see, end up marrying Moabite women, which, again, was a sign of staying, not sojourning. And, and a little, little compromise in that situation turned into a greater compromise. And sometimes we make those decisions where, you know, there's some financial benefit to miss out on the things that God has prescribed for us as families. 
and in our way of leading. It compromises our time at, uh, with our family, our time to serve God, our time to be able to, uh, to make, an, uh, make a, an impact in, in the life of even our wife. And we make all of those decisions for the economic benefit of our families, but to the detriment of God's spiritual blessings on our lives. And, and that's what happened in Elimelech's life. He made that as a determining factor, really, really things that God had already prescribed. And, and sometimes the thing that really, really reveals how much we believe in God's way and God's, God's word or not is this. It's not the, just the challenges that we have in our lives. It's the opportunities that come our way. Because some opportunities aren't meant to be taken. Some things that look, from a sight point of view, financially beneficial, it isn't always the thing that we're supposed to decide upon. It's supposed to be underpinned by the, the very things that God has already placed. The Word of God. The principles of God. And we're meant to make decisions based on the eternal things of God and those spiritual blessings. And, and I think of another example, Lot. Lot. You know, I think about Lot in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zohar. And, and unfortunately for Lot, he made an economic decision, a financially healthy decision. And as a result, he kept looking at those cities, and he fell. And in fact, he started to dwell in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says about him that he was vexed every day, his righteous soul was. And he was in a place of compromise. And we know the story. He loses his family. God comes to judge that. And, and to the point where Lot's wife turns back, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Lot's very own sons-in-law make a mockery of him because of his warning to them. And what happened was he, he, he got to the place of compromise. He got to the place where he, he put his family in a place of compromise. Why? Because he made a decision simply and purely based on economical fortune. And we got to guard ourselves. The Bible tells us the love of money is the root of all evil. And I'm not talking about providing here. We ought to provide. But sometimes we go beyond that and sometimes we, our motivation isn't simply to provide, it's simply to expand. And sometimes, sometimes we go through, and I'm not saying that, that this morning that if there's any financial gain for you, that that's not God's will, but it better not compromise the very things that God is already using in your life to bless you. Those principles of the Word of God. It better not compromise that. That ought to be our first consideration whether it's God's will. I think about many years ago in my family's life, I was 16 at the time. We were thriving in our local church, really engaged in it. My dad, as I mentioned, was the only deacon, but for, for a while he was really just doing well at work. He worked for a multi-million, multi-billion dollar, it was the big Australian, BHP, for a while. And he was coming up in the ranks there and they were, were, they were expanding into different markets and they expanded into the U.S. market and they offered my dad the opportunity to head up the steel mill in Ohio, in the U.S. And I remember he came home one afternoon and he said, Kids, how would you like to move to the USA? And I didn't know. You know, I've heard, obviously, I, I've read a lot about it, never been there. 
But he said, how, how, what do you think about that? And I remember sitting there with, with, um, with my dad, my sisters, my mom, and we were all asking questions about that, what, what was it like? And he was saying, you know, what they're going to do for us is um, they're going to they're pay me a salary. And I thought, well, that's good. They should pay you a salary. And, and I, they said, they're going to fly us over there. They're going to buy us a house. And then on top of my salary, they're going to provide groceries every week. And my dad's looking at that like, wow. You know, what an opportunity. And I remember very, very clearly my dad sitting there and he looked at us and he says, but it's got to be God's will though. And, you know, in my head I'm going, yeah, I'd love a new house. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's churches there, Dad. And, and, but when we got, began to pray about it more and we began to seek God about it more, we realized, no, no, no this isn't God's will. And one of the reasons was we, we were so plugged into our local church. But we knew that if we were to move, we'd have to start again. We knew that if we did that, then it, there would be some other repercussions. And my dad, he, he, he prayed. I remember mornings where he and my mom would pray through that. And it became very clear to the family. And it became very clear for him that this was not a decision that he needed to make to take us to another place. And I remember that, and, and I, I look at it, and some, sometimes I imagine what our life would be there. But you know what? We needed, we needed to be in the place of blessing. And you know what happened in, when I was 16? I met someone that year. Her name's Azariah. <laughs> if we moved that year, I would never have met her. She's a blessing to my life. <laughs> I, I wouldn't trade... I wouldn't trade a bigger, more lavish lifestyle for her. You know, that year I got called to preach. <laughs> it was that year. And I think about the repercussions in my life if my dad just made a financial choice. And, and I think about all of the blessings in my life because my dad took a stand for God when an opportunity came knocking at his door. And too many of us, we, we make those decisions based on that. Will, will this be, and, and I'm not saying it's not wrong if we don't, it, as long as we're submitting to. You know, what it, the Bible asks us, what is life? It's a, a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. He says, you know, we're, what's life? He says, we come and go, we, and it's about gain. <laughs> but, but he says, but we, we shouldn't say that, it should be. Is this the will of God or not? That's life. And too many times as, as people, we make decisions based on economical means, not God's spiritual blessing. But he made a decision really based on his temporal needs rather than eternal promises. And, you know, there's, again, the, the, the tension in life of not just faith versus sight, but eternal and temporal. You know, we live in a temporal world. This world will one day fade away, the Bible says. This is a very temporal world. This, this is not forever. But there are things that are eternal. There are things that God has set in stone and He's settled in heaven forever. And there's, there's, sometimes we make decisions based on temporal needs. And again, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, 
to give them. Notice that within the context of, of, of God's blessing, of loving Him and of following Him, they were to dwell in the land. They were to stay there. That was the place of blessing, and God promised to look after them in His will, and it's safer to be in the will of God than to be in any other place. It might look, it might look difficult in the will of God. It might, it might even look in a way that there's no way that this could be better than the alternative. But I want to tell you that the Bible promises us and God in, his, in, in the fact that He's the same yesterday and today and forever, and the fact that He's made promises to you and I as Christians and not just to the nation of Israel, we are to, if we are to trust Him and if we are to look to Him for our sustenance and our strength and we are to trust Him in His way and we are to trust Him in the way that we ought to live our lives, I want to tell you that God will not allow the righteous to famish. He just won't. And we might look at the economical challenges of our time. And we might look at the difficulties that we find ourselves in. We might look at from sight just the, those very things that seem to be uh, incomprehensible to, 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 uh, to, to solve. And, and we might not even look at that. And we might look at that and find no answer. But there's always going to be an answer for us, and that's the Lord. It's the promises. You know, God's given to us exceeding great and precious promises. And those promises are eternal. Those promises are eternal. Why? Because there's an immutable truth, God who cannot lie. And I'm telling you that sometimes we, we face situations that can be confusing. We, we do face times where it just doesn't seem like there's any other way but to compromise. We might look at and find our own solution in things. And I'm going to tell you that if we trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge Him, He shall direct thy path. And too many times we lean on our own understanding and yet here's what happens. We are short-sighted. <laughs> there's things we can't see. And there's things that Elimelech couldn't see. He couldn't see that, that, that really this whole decision was going to place his family in a foreign land, in a land where actually, in the great scheme of it, they were strangers, that, that this was a place of really, that they're going to have to vacate because this was not the place that God had for them. And so they find themselves there that, that, that he made decisions based on his temporal needs rather than eternal promises. You know, and, and there's a nature of temporal, isn't it? It's always a season. You know, we, we look at the, the times we live in, and we, sometimes we can look at it and go, well, I, wish, I, wish, I, I wish we had done this five years ago. I wish we had done it ten years ago. And, and sometimes we can wish all we want. It's never going to happen. But the reality is those times are gone, and this time will be soon gone too. It's temporal. And we're too short-sighted as God's people at times. And we forget there's eternal promises that, that outlast seasons of our lives. And, and the very thing of the famine here, the decision-making was based on a temporal thing, a famine. But it wasn't always a famine in God's, in God's land. 
In fact, later on, the reason why they return was Naomi hears the famine's over. <laughs> and they could have waited it out. They, they, there were still those that were there that waited it out. And, and we find that they had initially sojourned, that, that this was based on sight, that the economical gains that they could have had that to provide, we see that the decision was based on the temporal needs that they had, the hunger, the famine, how do we deal with that? But then they made a decision that ultimately it moved his family away from God-given support mechanisms. And, and God does that. You know, he built into following after him his support mechanisms. You know, thinking about just the joy it has been for, for, uh, for our, our lives to, to see God's provision in his way. You know, we've been part of a local church for a long time. We've been part of, of a, a, a church family and we're now part of this church family and, and we've come with the great confidence, not, not particularly in people, but in God's institution of the church. And I think about that. I think about the fact that when, when my wife gave birth to Vicky, I remember as a new dad, just the sense of fear and trepidation, I was going to have a child. And I remember approaching that time and thinking through, we were really out of our, our group of friends, we were, uh, we were really the first in that group to have a child. And so no one else in our immediate group of, of friends and, and our generation really we could go to, but we understood we had the church. And I remember sitting there with the, with the midwife after Vicky was born, and, you know, they do their checks. Not only do they health checks, they, they ask social questions. And so we were sitting there, and she was asking, you know, how's your support network? How's your, how's your you know, who, who do you have that supports you? And we had our family, but we had the church family. And I remember just the, just the joy it was. We, we eventually got back, to, to, got back after a, a week or two being away. And, um, and we brought Vicky there. And, and I'll tell you what, we, we, had so many, we had so many who just wanted to be a blessing. We had so many who just came by and asked if, if we could, they could make us a meal. The, every, every Sunday, it just seemed to be someone else was changing Vicky's nappy. It wasn't just us. It just, it just seemed to be that the whole church was raising this child. But it was a place of blessing. And, you know, too many times we make decisions that move our family away from God-given support mechanisms. And we, we later see that God had actually made provision for, for Naomi through the law. It was the law. It was God's word. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 10, And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou, thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. You know, what happened in the nation was, it was an uh, uh, agricultural society, of course. It was all these, all these crops. And they said, you know, when you, when you go out there, don't glean. That means the things that have fallen on the ground... Don't pick it up. In fact, later on, what we're going to see is he said, leave a corner. And God had a way of looking after the poor and needy. And I'm telling you, Elimelech knew that. How do I know? Because 
Because Naomi knew that. How do I know? Because actually Ruth knew that. And it was, it was a knowledge in the family, but here they were outside of God's will. And yet in the very will of God, in the very, the very thing that they left, was God's support mechanism, was God's way of dealing with the poor and needy. And, and God had built in support mechanisms for those who were poor and needy within the law. And actually moving away from Bethlehem meant that this, his family was away from the support mechanisms that God had designed. It moved them away from the, the judges who gave them the word of God. And I'm saying God builds in to our lives, not just within our family. And by the way, they, did, they had extended family because when they got back, there were those who recognized Naomi. Is that, that not Naomi? They had family. They had those that within their, their tribe. But you understand that there, there was others that within the law God had built that. And, and many times it's the law that prompts others to be a help. You know, many times it's just God's people being sensitive to God's word. And God's inbuilt to go ahead and be a help and a blessing to others. And, and, and I'm telling you that God, as God's people, we don't have to cry poor. God just hears us if we would cry out. And God builds in his support mechanisms. And you've got to, you've got to understand that that's, that's God, how God works. He works within the realm of those things. And there, there many times in our lives there's been unseen things that I can only attribute not to the general generosity of God's people, but God working in others. And God working in our own hearts at times to meet needs. And that's just how God does it. But you know, if we move ourselves away from, from His will, and we remove ourselves from God's place of blessing, and we make decisions based on sight, we make decisions that move us away from the support mechanisms of, of, of God's Word and God's people, then what happens is we erode the very thing that was meant to help us. And it, it, God builds in that. You know, and, and again, I want to say that the local church is meant to be that. We're meant to care. And, and what we're going to find is Ruth is a great type. Ruth is, is a great type of the church. And, and we'll learn that in, as we go through the, this story here. But it's just, it's, someone's got to care. Someone's got to show Someone's got to be sensitive enough to the Lord's call and the Lord's way and His word to, to be the support mechanism at times for others. And we're meant to just uh, be burden bearers. That's the law of Christ, isn't it? And we're meant to bear our own burdens, but so bear ye one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. He moved them away. And so all of those things are built in. And, and what Elimelech did, unfortunately, he moved them away. He moved them away. You know, there, there's, there's just something to be said about God's way and, and, and trusting in God's way. It moved them away from that. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, 8, as a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. It's meant to be a place of, of provision, of security. You know, many times men move away and maybe not even physically, but emotionally, and, and mentally and spiritually, they vacate their role in their home. 
And what that, when you move away, you move your family away. When you move away, there's an absence there that no one else can really fill. And, you know, sometimes there's, there are dads who have checked out. They've checked out of their homes. They've checked out of their place. And they wonder why there's a dearth. They wonder why. And, and for, for Elimelech, really, it cost him his life. Unknown to him, that, that I'm not saying here that that's what it's going to cost you. But it might cost you the death of something. The death of your testimony. It might cost you the, the death of your relationship. It might cost you some of those things. It'll cost you a future that you hope to have. And we see here in, in the, the great miracle of Ruth is that where there was a dead future, there was a living heir. <laughs> and we're going to find that later on. And so I want, to, I want to encourage you all, and I know it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to leave it there. But I want to challenge us as God's people. You know, what are we basing our decisions on? You know, are we, when we're faced with things that are just sight, do we, do we decide based on the circumstance or do we decide on, on God's character? Do we decide uh, based on the fear or do we decide by faith? And when it came down to it, we see in Elimelech's life, he put his, his family in a precarious situation. Why? Because he decided on the other and not on the things that God had already put there. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time. Lord, I know, Lord, that it, the book really starts with a bit of a, a tumultuous start. And, and Lord, I don't want to leave it there, but for now, we will leave it there. Because there needs to be a soberness, Lord, of, of just our own decision-making. Lord God, there's many times where we make decisions too quickly and decisions too rashly, dear God, based on Lord, what we perceive as a famine is a dearth. And yet within that, dear God, we've got, to, we've got to see and we've got to admit to your faithfulness, to your blessing, Lord, to those things that you built in. And I pray, dear God, that that would be at the forefront of our thoughts and decision-making when it's our turn to decide. And Father, all of us here, we, we face decisions on the daily. Lord, we all face those things that, that we... We, we've got to, we've got to just, Lord, do something about. And yet, Lord, there's good ways and there's right ways to go about it. And so I pray that you'd help us this morning.